And welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 174. After a short layoff, uh, we are glad to have in the playoffs, Eno Sarah's back in the fold. Eno, congratulations, and how are you doing? I am doing good. <laughs> that is good. That is very good. Uh, <laughs> very good here. It's, it's, it's fun. It's a little bit harder in the postseason to cover baseball because you just get a couple seconds with every guy. You know, not even with every guy, you, you you don't really get clubhouse access and they have these press conferences. So you, you kind of have to snatch little quotes and try and write long posts based on, you know, one sentence a player said to you. So that has uh, that makes it harder. And for, and for those who don't know, Eno has been uh, on a shuttle between the hospital and the ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, he's welcomed a new little one. Uh, for those of you who remember uh, in regular season podcasts, he was talking about the being a little apprehensive or uh, perhaps about talking, discussing fantasy stuff coming up because of that schedule he was fearing. Uh, but things so far have gone as well as perhaps can be expected. <laughs> and now yeah, we are. Yeah, he's, he's healthy and, uh, and happy and loud. <laughs> that is excellent excellent overall we <laughs> overall especially for those of us who are not dealing with it uh, uh we think that's excellent news <laughs> and now without further ado uh, we, and we we talked uh obviously for those of you who listened we talked with zach sanders uh, a little bit over a week ago discussing catchers and his, a little bit of his end of season rankings by position uh and had some interesting stuff to discuss. We will get eventually uh, Zach back on the show. Some of you had some questions about how his he does his evaluations and, and things like that, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about first baseman, actually a lot about first baseman. Uh, we could talk particularly about, so I think some of them have become a little more interesting uh, as the playoffs has, have unfolded and some folks begin to wonder, hey, are these guys really for real? Is this somebody I should be looking to invest in or keep or something like that coming into next season? I think there's some interesting names, and uh, we can probably start with uh, the eliminated team. Uh, some of the guys from the eliminated teams, and I think to me, what is I don't think it's a terribly interesting case, uh, other than the fact that obviously he just kind of totally exceeded expectations. It's a guy who's been released and claimed and released and claimed and released and claimed, and suddenly Steve Pierce is like. Uh, the awesomest fantasy commodity known to man, uh, and 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 especially doing so in the absence of Chris Davis for the Orioles, and he, he was pretty key bat, even somewhat in the in the playoffs. Uh, but Pierce is a guy who clearly exceeded expectations uh, <clears throat> overall for the season. Even he approached 400 plate appearances. He had 293, hit more than 20 home runs, even stole a handful of bases, which is kind of uh, kind of crazy. But uh, I mean, this is clearly to me, it's a guy that, you know, you look at this and you say, all right, well, this is kind of a fluke. Um, this is, I mean, certainly there's a possibility of kind of a late, late career uh, blossoming or something, some kind of realization here. Uh, but I, I look at his splits, right-handed batters. There's no, there's no difference between his previous seasons indicators 
uh, and this season. The only thing you could say is that, uh, I mean, there's kind of a huge spike in his ISO against right-handed pitchers, but it's hard to say how much you can attribute that to some kind of breakthrough. I, w- I would like to hear or read about at least some sort of attribution, as far, you know, some, some sort of skill developed uh, that suddenly allowed him to kind of make this breakthrough before I th- see it as anything other than a little fluky. Well, I mean, there's a there's an excellent article by Petriello where uh, Pierce talks about changing his his batting stance, and you know the reason that uh, that Pierce gives uh, for liking his stance is that he can see the ball longer or whatever. I don't know if that's just what he the words he's put on it or if that's how he feels. But that uh, when I look at his uh, his sort of batting line over the years. The one thing that does leap out at me is that uh, he was basically the same person. And I'm saying a lot of this about him versus right-handers because he's always been a lefty masher. Right. Uh, and I thought that was that's why he kept getting released and picked up is because you know right-handed power off the bench, even though it's not uh, a you know a thing that you pay a lot of money for or that's highly sought after, it is something that people need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, to be picked up and released, and picked up and released, you have to be picked up a bunch. <laughs> so that, I think people were looking for this right-handed power off the bench, and you know what we're looking for is some sort of change in skills, like you're saying, um, against right-handers uh, that could have led to this. So no, if you look at last year, he actually has, like you say, almost exact same walk rate, exact same strikeout rate, um, and uh, and and what's even more. Uh, good or bad, is that he has the exact same ground ball rate and the exact same fly ball rate, uh, almost the exact same line drive rate, infield fly ball rate, almost the exact same homer for fly ball rate. So, you know, uh, the, the only difference between last year against righties and this year against righties was a 331 BABIP um, and, uh, versus a 300 BABIP. So you could actually look at 2013, and I think it would give you a good idea of what he could do uh, with regression. So... In 2013, against right-handers, Steve Pierce had 250 with a 340 on base percentage and a 409 slugging percentage. So that's um, not quite league average, but it's pretty close. Um, you'd expect someone with that sort of line to maybe hit 15, 16, 17 homers. You have to add in the fact that um, he, he's, he'll be good against lefties because that's, that's his right-on-right platoon split. So uh, I think even with regression, he could be a guy that next year, um, you know, could hit 20 homers and hit 250. Um, but in terms of like, you know, uh, maybe 260 once you factor in the left-handedness, um, I, w- I would look a lot at 2013 uh, to think about uh, him in the future. Okay, it's for, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I read a little about the change in stance, and I guess I chalked up. A little bit because the the sample in 2013 was so small, I probably didn't give it a, a lot of weight, I guess. And uh, there's probably something. Uh, I mean, the average on balls in play was a little higher. I I think it's certainly. I, I guess I started to wonder: is this a little bit more no? Is it how much is noise versus how much is a change in skills? And I guess because you can have you could point to this change in stance in the last couple of years. Uh, it's it certainly. I, I don't think it's clear cut exactly you know, where you draw the line. But, but yeah, yeah, there's, especially there's, since probably, there's, there's probably more to believe, I guess, than I'm probably giving it credit for simply because I'm dismissing it based 
purely on the rest of the indicators. I guess I would I would imagine that the change in swing results uh, also in some, you know, a little bit of a reduction in the strikeout rate uh, as well, simply because he's seeing things better and stuff like that. But, well, that's what he's saying. That's what I don't. That's why I don't like what he's saying. Right. Uh, because when I when I see when I see him, I see him striking out uh, more than he was supposed to. You know, in, early in his career, he was supposed to be a guy that could make a lot of contact. Um, and now he seems to be a guy who's kind of sold out for power, uh, hitting a lot more fly balls than he used to and striking out more. So uh, it's weird to hear, to hear him talk about seeing the ball longer. You, you think that would be something that was pro-contact. And, you know, honestly, from watching him in the box, he seems like he's really amped up, like he's really, like, going after the fastball. And yeah. if you look at his splits, uh, fastballs versus uh, everything else, um, he is he is way better against fastballs uh, than he is against everything else, and uh, so what I think is is a little bit more about a change in attitude necessarily than a, a change in what he does um, at the plate stance. And if you look at um, if you look at what he does against fastballs, he has a 283 bat average, 487 slugging percentage against fastballs. Uh, it's a 204 ISO. Against breaking pitches, he has a 183 batting average and a 126 ISO. And against off-speed pitches, he has a 208 batting average and a 115 ISO. So, I mean, pitchers have to throw fastballs or else they would never throw him a fastball, I think. Um, and uh, I'm not sure. I think a lot of his regression will come out of that, out of that fact, that they'll just start throwing him fewer fastballs. Uh, and we'll see if he can adjust. I did used to like him coming up in Pittsburgh. I remember uh, picking Steve Pierce a lot um, for bench picks and stuff early in his career, and then I sort of gave up on him. And I think that the the reason he shouldn't invest too much in him mostly is just the fact that he's right-handed and it's taken him this long because that means his floor as uh, you know a twenty a thirty-two-year-old right-hander next year is. Uh, you know, a bench bat in real life, which is not a fantasy asset at all. Right. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Pierce is clearly kind of he's discovered a little bit of he's made a little bit of progress in terms of understanding his value, but he's also at an age where and, and there's some clear floor that is probably a little lower than you might expect based on the type of season he's had, just because. He's like you said. He's right-handed. Uh, his role could be substantially reduced if there is some regression, and the regression could come along with uh, if pitchers kind of give him that. I, I would guess I would kind of refer, maybe refer to it as like a Ryan Howard treatment from left-handers, kind of right-handers giving him a lot of off-speed and breaking stuff if they can afford to continue to pile up that up. Like maybe pitchers who tend to walk a lot of guys would not be able to afford that probably a little as as much against him. I would guess. I mean, I it's. Uh... I doubt that. I think what's going to happen next year is that Chris Davis comes back. I don't know how much better he is, but uh, I think he'll be better than he was last year, and I think that'll push Pierce to more of a backup role. And I think right. you know that's that's fine for the Orioles, uh, but it, it doesn't mean that the, the playing time isn't necessarily there for him. If, if Chris Davis plays well next year, where does uh, Steve Pierce play? Right. Yeah, and I'm kind of the same. I mean, speaking of Davis, I'm kind of the same thing. I mean, uh, Davis, let's see, how did he do in the playoffs? Oh, that's right. He wasn't available for them because of that drug thingy. But, and what he batted, 199. And Mike Podhorter's piece on him clearly, I mean, basically left a lot of this up to 
a lot of this was kind of his stuff was sh- swallowed up by the shift. 26 home runs. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Or I'm sorry, 196 batting average. Uh, I think at one point it was 199. But of course, the finish at 196, 33% strikeout rate. I mean, these are these are things you kind of come to expect. I mean, it's not like the strikeout rate was vastly greater than it was last season. I kind of view. I mean, how much of this do you attribute to shift? To me, it's still it's still really difficult to estimate how how much uh, a shift uh, makes an impact. I guess on a hitter's batting average, because there's still a lot of there's still a lot of things potentially in play with that. And I, and I do like Davis to bounce back. I feel like there's there's just like a lot of accidental rebound <laughs> uh, possible in his numbers. Uh, we certainly know yeah. there's a lot of p- power that's for real. I mean, even in Podhortzer's, uh, you know, appraisal of the of what happened to Chris Davis in the shift, um, he admits. I mean, you can see that you know in 2013 they shifted him 50 plus percent of the time and he still had a, a batting average on balls in play of three, 302 against the shift mm-hmm. so just because they went from shifting him 50 percent of the time to 80 percent of the time i don't think that means that necessarily that it follows that his shift babbit should have dropped to 230 so right. i mean maybe they just really figured it out uh where he needed to be exactly but i'll say this most almost everybody pulls the ball on the ground and so it's hard to shift righties because of where the first baseman needs to be. Um, you know, how do you throw a guy out at first if you shift the first baseman pretty really far? You know, yeah, you know I, sorry to get tangential on you, but I've noticed even a couple of times, and maybe uh, once in the playoffs, I forget which team suddenly did it, but uh, shifting against a right-hander with a man on base, and I just thought, wow, what? That doesn't seem to make any sense. Like you just basically. You're, gi- you're giving them a lot, right? right. You're giving them a second base if they want to steal it. And it, it, it resulted in, I think it resulted in a throwing error because it was like the defense had so much. I mean, it was just like, it, it was a terrible arrangement. Anyway, yeah, I, I think I think to some degree, I, certainly teams are still learning exactly how much to employ shift and how much to take advantage of shift data and things like that. But anyway, that's, I, I digress. And yeah, I agree. I think... Um, yeah, there's there's certainly something to be taken away from uh, the fact that, it, as you said, I mean, I would assume a lot of grounders are pulled because I mean, a hitter is trying to get around on something and can't. It's it's I mean, that's kind of the way that a team is pitching him in the first place. It's not even necessarily pitching to the shift, right? It's just uh, a pitcher trying to induce a ground ball from a hitter, um, or trying to induce a bad contact from a hitter, I should say, because it's not necessarily always going to result in a ground ball. Yeah. And you know he is pretty extreme. So uh, even for even saying that most people pull all their balls on the ground, he is pretty extreme if you look at his at his uh, spray charts. But you know the thing about Davis is is never been really his batting average, and it's never been really the singles. You know, so um, you know I would say that he probably um, you know you can pencil him down for you know another bad batting average, but. Um, I would say a full year probably gets him, um, you know, more than 30 homers next year. Um, Steamer has him hitting 242 uh, with a lot of the same uh, power that he had before. Uh, you know, a, a season basically like 2012 where he hit uh, he hit 270 that year, but he hit 240 with uh, 30 30 to 35 homers next year. In any case, if he does that, he'll be, you know, 20% better than the league with the bat. 
Um, you know, probably better than Pierce would be against righties. Uh, even in Pierce's good season, um, uh, he was only about that. So with regression, Davis is going to be better than Pierce against righties, and that makes um, that makes Pierce a, a backup. You know, and I do think that uh, as much as Davis is really not my kind of player, um, you know, I've written about how uh, lefties. It's more important for lefties to to be able to go the other way for a couple of reasons. First, because they can get shifted um, more easily than righties, like we just talked about. And second, because their strike zone is is bigger um, on the outside. Mm. Uh, the, the lefty strike zone is bigger on the outside corner. Mm. So, um, you know, if they can't go the other way, they can't cover that pitch. They can't make contact and in a in a good way with a pitch on the outside corner. So. Uh, you know, that's why uh, we're you know we're going to see bad batting averages from Davis along with his thirty percent strikeout rate. He's just the kind of guy who's built to um, to hit homers and uh, about nothing else. Uh, but at twenty eight, I doubt you know he's shown he's he can be really good at least two, maybe three seasons um, in his career. Um, so if he if he's shown that he can do that again, and I won't. Um, I won't call him useless until he's past thirty and he's he's done this again. I think. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. I mean, to me, I, I would guess based on this type of season that the crowd tends to react. I think the 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 crowd. This is a, this is a player that's going to be I think difficult to peg as far as price goes. There may be some people who overreact. There are going to be people who overreact. There are going to be people who do not react much. And it kind of is good. I feel like this is kind of going to be a player who it depends on who you are facing in your draft slash auction. Uh, I feel like his price range could be all over because I mean, and similarly, it's a player that could has kind of a potential wide range of outcomes because it's not totally unheard of that he has kind of a good year at the plate where he he does hit two sixty or two seventy again. But you're trying to you're picking which which season that's going to be. Uh, I mean, it seems like next year is a good year to take. A gamble on him because it can't get much worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I wonder though, where do you think that? Uh, where do you think, like in terms of rounds or or dollars? You know, um, sort of generally, you know, thirty thirty dollar range or twenty twenty to thirty dollar range would be in the second to third rounds in there. Or uh, you think that he think he'll be in there? Do you think? I, I, can't I can't see, imagine I, he doesn't go for. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't see him going for like ten bucks. Yeah, that's true. Um, gosh, that's. I mean, that's tough. I feel. Uh, and I was talking mixed leagues, right? Uh, okay. But I mean, it's a little bit more relevant for me because I can in mixed leagues I can find a reason not to buy him. You know, right? Uh, there's just too many players out there. But it, I guess in an American league, that's that's where it's really interesting because. You know, ton of power there. If you could get that kind of power for, you know, fifteen bucks, you'd have to do it. So then that makes me think that everybody would do it at fifteen bucks. Would they do it at eighteen? Would they do it at twenty-two? Would they do it at twenty-six? You know, very interesting to see where he shows up. I think at around twenty dollars, I would start to get uncomfortable. But because I would project probably some sort of rebound. I mean, I, somewhere maybe in the two thirty to two forty range. I mean, I think the steamer projection is fairly. Um, it's fair enough. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's no playing time projection there. I'm not sure why, but uh, at least that I can see. But 30 home runs and a 240 batting average. I guess, like to me, I look at it. First of all, he's missing the playing time from this season because, I mean, you're probably you're, you're 
you add 20 to 25 games of playing time there, and he hits over 30 home runs with the 196 batting average to begin with. So he earned a little bit more even than what he, you know, technically speaking, assuming that suspension is not on the table again next season, which I would right. have to think that he learned a little, the lesson. <laughs> but, um, like, I would view it as, like, in the context of the fa- like, I would take my chances with the batting average outcomes uh, because, I mean, there could be a range of reasons that it can rebound or not. Anyway, I, I, I view it as it's worth – I mean, I read the, I read, I think it was Brad Johnson's piece on Chris Carter. Um, and, and I understand that there are a range of outcomes that, and the batting average means only so much, but I, I guess I just view it as that, that kind of power production is becoming rarer and rarer. And I'm willing to take that chance. And I mean, I, I'm starting to think like Larry Schechter and ale and ale labor. Uh, I've seen it done by other by other folks. Uh, if you kind of go, you go, you 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 chase power a little bit. You don't worry about or you basically punt batting average. And you're especially if you can target players kind of coming off bad seasons. You're going to take some losses, but uh, you're going to you're going to end up uh, kind of in a positive, uh, probably in a positive um, pool as far as the home runs and RBIs kind of resulting from that. I mean, Davis is the type of player that I would target in the AL or even in a mixed league. I think you could afford to punt batting average or even OBP. In an OBP league, um, it's probably a little more reasonable uh, to target him too, like in in, in Tal. Um, I, I think Davis is he's he's a he's a player I generally target. Is uh, I think I would buy. I mean, I, it's it's hard to say that I would take him in. in uh, I definitely wouldn't take him in the second round. I don't think, but maybe in the third round uh, in a mixed league, fifteen team mixed league, definitely uh, in that twenty dollar range. I think I would. Yeah, I mean, it it, it it is weird because, it, like you said, it kind of makes you punt batting average, and you know, the earlier you do something like that, the more it changes the rest of your draft. Yeah, yeah, I think. So then, so then you. Then you're locked into punting batting average, and what do you do with your first players? You know, like if you picked a guy that had some batting average, in, you know, in your first couple of rounds, then all of a sudden you didn't get the best value out of him. So you kind of have to. I think it's he's he's like a bellwether guy. Him <laughs> and Chris Carter, you gotta you gotta decide how you feel about those guys. You gotta really think about how you feel about those guys because if you are okay with them. And you do think that there's going to be a little bit of a bounce back for um, for Davis, and and you do think that Chris Carter can hold on to his job next year and do the same thing again, then those guys will be there for you. Uh, if you just want to pay an extra dollar or two or or pick them around earlier, you can get them, and um, and and then you can build your strategy around them. But if but if you don't really think it over and, and don't have a plan in place and end up taking you know, Ioki the round before you take Carter, you just, you'll, you'll end up with a, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a mediocre team that's not strong anywhere, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I, I agree to a certain extent, but like, I think, I mean, it's certainly uh, the, the cost kind of, I mean, I factor in the cost. I've started to, th- I mean, I used to think years ago that it was, it was about, I mean, you're buying statistics and it's less about the players, but I've, I've become, a, I mean, I think, it's it's more and more about individual player evaluation and kind of weighing or evaluating that kind of uh, cost op- or the, the opportunity or the cost. I mean, what is Davis going to cost versus what the likely outcomes are? And like I mean, Davis is not a player that I even came close to owning this past season. 
but I would want to own them in any particular season as long as the cost is coming. I mean, I wouldn't have project. I certainly nobody projected a season as bad as he had, but uh, you knew that. The, I think that was within the range of outcomes, obviously, because it was one and something much lower than what he put up in 2013 was obviously uh, pretty much on the table. I, I, I think what I'm trying to say is like, um, much less so I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't think, I don't, I don't totally put myself in a, you know, when I'm, when I'm drafting or buying players or whatever it is, I still look at them overall as like, what is the, what is the overall upside of the player uh, in in terms of cost uh, and likely to produce dollar wise. I mean, I'm still, I I think I'm still mostly focused on trying to buy value and like, I mean, an Aoki, is a player that's kind of a complimentary player. You kind of you, you get him with the idea of, um, you know, he's going to compliment you in OBP and not really do a whole lot else. Uh, but so in, in that in that sense, I guess it doesn't really serve. So you're a purpose. saying you're saying you want to like keep your options open. You don't want to say like I would buy a Davis. I'm um, not going to buy Davis, and then he shows up in the twentieth round, and you're like, but I said I wasn't going to do it. Well, so, yeah, I guess I mean that's kind of an extreme case, but like I would like I would if I pay David if I pay the price for Davis next season, I don't think I I haven't resigned myself to punting batting average or OBP. I have I mean I still might target uh you know if I want a corner player, I might still go after an Eric Hosmer or something like like if I that's you know that's a player we're going to talk about, but I mean it's probably a bad example. I'm trying to think of um <clears throat> Maybe. It's so extreme, though. I mean, just you know, when you get six hundred plate appearances with two twenty, yeah. But um, but I think like yeah. if you if you factor in the fact, I mean, like everybody, I feel like everybody's going to have a bad batting average or bad OPP guy on their team. It almost seems to happen. Like there are just it seems like to me, and that's maybe that's something just as worth looking at. But there are just there are more of them, and offense is down a little bit. I'm probably putting too much uh, just. And that's kind of what I was saying about Davis. Is like, yes, that's true. The league a, average is down to like two fifty now. Yeah, which is, which is not terribly exciting. And you know, and a a two sixty five batting average in a fantasy league is not bad, uh, or at least in a deep in a very deep mixed league, I would say. Um, and certainly in an AO only league, in AO only two sixty five is pretty good. Uh, so Davis is not. You know, if he hits two forty, he's not really hurting you at all. You know, it's it's pretty incremental, I think, and and. There, I mean, there are a number of players. I mean, you know, I, I know like Lorenzo Cain was like, like I didn't, I didn't project him to hit 300, but I, I think that there are just there are a number of players that the 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 range of outcomes is so great in terms of batting average and OBP uh, seems so, and a lot of things, you know, including playing time, there are, a lot of those things are built on those things that I think it's just right. It, it's I mean, you, don't it's, don't pin yourself into a don't put yourself into a bucket just right. because of you one know, or two players. Yeah, you can punt. It, you can punt at any time is another way of saying it, right? Right, right. It, that's yeah. That's that's a better. Yeah. Thank you for you generalizing what I was. <laughs> because because as we know it's within the range of outcomes. What you're saying It's like Chris Davis. We know he can hit 280 because he's done it. Right. Um, and you know his lifetime batting average is not even that bad. Um, I, I've moved on to Chris Carter, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's his lifetime value? Yeah, uh, if his if lifetime get... batting average is two fifty three. So if you got him and just got his lifetime batting average, then you would be getting a league average batting average, and it wouldn't be a problem. So it's a good point. Um, it's a good point. I I tend to find the trading is hard. And yes, it is. That is true. 
and that uh, punting in roto rarely works. Yeah, and that I also agree with. I think like an example, what I would... I get nervous about players like these that might force me towards punting, and then all of a sudden I'm trying to find a trading partner for, you know, a one-dimensional batting average guy. And I mean, that is the only time where trading seems to work is when you've got a guy who's super one-dimensional and they've got a guy who's super one-dimensional and they don't need steals anymore and you don't need, you know, batting average anymore, something like that, you know? That's the only yeah. time it does work. So, yeah, and, I, and, and, and I'm sensitive what you, to what you're saying, that in general you shouldn't just uh, write Chris Davis off. But I do think that it's worth having a think about Chris Davis before you enter a draft. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I spend a little more time on his projections and cause I mean, he's super boom or bust. You could get 199 and 20 homers or you could get, you know, 285 and 50 homers. So, you know, that's, a, that's one to think about in terms of what I think, what I, what I would pencil in right now for, for him is uh, 240 and 35, a little bit more uh, playing time and power than steamer hasn't, um, down for really and the reason that steamer hasn't for one play appearance is because he's currently under suspension so right. his current uh depth chart position is is um not great but that, that'll get updated over the rest of the season um and i'm a little bit more positive about him than someone like chris carter who we've been talking to we've been talking about off and on during this uh because you know chris carter is less of an asset um he's right-handed his percentage <laughs> he's right-handed he has a platoon split um, and anything that you can say about Chris Davis, you can say is way more extreme about Chris Carter. The strikeout rate is more extreme. Um, the batting average situation is more extreme. So, um, you know, and you, you look at actually, it's kind of funny. If you look at Chris Carter and you took the name off of it, uh, you could see a lot in common with Chris Davis in terms mm-hmm. of walk rate, strikeout rate, fly ball rate, power. And if you do that, then you realize. Why are we talking so much about Chris Davis's uh, shift situation? Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't shift Chris Carter as much as Chris Davis, and he has that terrible batting average without the shift. So <laughs> I don't think that the shift is necessarily um, why uh, Chris Davis had a bad year. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, Chris Carter, yes, the fact that he's right-handed helps him not being shifted, but it also, like we said earlier with Steve Pierce, makes his floor lower because... Uh, there have been times when I thought Chris Carter would be a right-handed DH. I mean, he's really bad in the outfield. Um, he has those platoon splits, and um, he's not even that great at first base. So, And now they have John Singleton. So, you know, as useful as Chris Carter was this year, and as much as I uh, agree with Brett Talley, was the, he wrote the piece that I think mm-hmm. maybe referencing. Yes. As much as I agree that the range of outcomes suggests that he's probably more than a $10 player next year, um, because uh, Brett Talley pointed out that Carl Santana basically had the same numbers as um, Chris Carter this year, except 10, 10 homers less. And, uh, and Carl Santana was still worth 11 bucks as a first baseman. So, um, yeah, it's likely that, uh, that Chris Carter is above a 10% guy. But the floor is just catastrophically low. If, if, if Chris Davis showed us his floor this year, uh, Chris Carter's floor is out of baseball. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why he makes me nervous, and I could not, even in an on-base percentage league, I would not buy Chris Carter in a mixed league. Uh, he's he's an only type guy for me, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I, 
See, Carter is like, yeah, he's definitely a more extreme case of, uh, as, as opposed to Davis. And I apologize. Yes, it is. It's Brett Talley who wrote the, the piece on Chris Carter, valuing Chris Carter. Uh, and I, yeah, I agree that, I mean, he's so, if you can get him, say in a mixed league, you can get him at 10 bucks. Um, in theory, that's a good buy. That's probably not a buy I would make because it's kind of, you're just automatic. I think you're, yeah, you are accepting a player with a significantly lower floor. And it's just, it seems a lot scarier to own. I feel like Davis is just a more well-rounded hitter and that's only maybe to a slight degree, but I, I, um, We've, we've never seen Davis's breakout season from Carter. So, right. Uh, and Carter is, I'm not even sure how to, to quantify that uh, or if I can quantify it. But basically, Carter is. I mean, first of all, if you buy Davis and you buy Carter, then you're probably then you're probably punting, <laughs> batting <laughs> average in OBP. Like that's. Uh, but I mean, Carter's Carter's one of those players. I mean, I guess like because that's. I guess it's basically what I'm trying to say is Carter's one of those players where uh, because of the the bad. The, the potentially bad batting average OBP bucket that he's in, and he comes out on the higher end. I, like I think that the the changes that he made this season are for real, but it doesn't mean that they're going to carry over in the next season. Uh, it takes a lot for a hitter to to a to um, to perpetuate those. I mean, those things. Uh, swing mechanics are a very intricate thing, especially for guys with big uh, swing and miss rates and and big strike zones to deal with and. Um, then on top of that, uh, there are also pitcher adjustments to them, things like that. But he worked, you know, midseason, there was a midseason thing. He worked on shortening his swing a little bit. And I think that that helped, even though it doesn't necessarily reflect it in the swinging strike rate, examine those from one point in season to the other and the strikeout rate, they were, they were pretty much the same not even really a change in, in the reach rate. But, uh, I mean, overall the results obviously were greatly improved. So, uh, there's there's certainly some possibility that 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 factored in, but at the same time, um, those things they didn't really ever get any because those things didn't really ever get any better. You certainly wouldn't forecast a, a, a bump up in batting average or anything like that. And ultimately, he's like he's coming off a good season. I would probably not pay it. I mean, I, by nature, I'm kind of contrarian. I look for what is, I mean. It, even at 10 or $11 that he was forecasted to earn, and maybe it ends up being a season like 2013's, like in a mixed league, I would probably have to pay single-digit dollars and probably on the low end, unless I was desperate for power because I was at the end and I'd already put myself in a position where I was punting batting average OBP. Carter's probably not a player I'm buying uh, unless he comes up at the end and I've already accepted that I'm punting those things. And it's like, well, i got to get somebody who ha- who has the potential to make an impact and hope that he has – the potential also to help me because I don't, I, I Carter's definitely a player. I, and in general, don't envision myself owning next year, but I don't write it off. Yeah. I also love, um, I'm a big strikeout rate guy. So, right. You know, the 30% guys are just, just make me super nervous. Um, I mean, you know, look at a guy like Lucas Duda, Lucas Duda has hit uh two twenty three before. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, I wonder, like, is the playing time and all that stuff, is that going to make him – What? how much farther does this make him uh, or how much what – is, what is the new bucket for him? What is the new baseline? How much do people buy 2014? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, sorry, go, go ahead. It's kind of funny too because I was just – my point was just that, like, 
I don't think of him as a major strikeout right great guy like the rest of them. I mean, his, right. his career total is twenty three percent. He just came off twenty three percent, but at the same time, he still hit two twenty three before. You know, <laughs> and it's and if we're talking about floors, his floor is kind of close to being out of baseball. I mean, not out of baseball, but like you know, maybe a lefty uh, a lefty only. Um, uh, first baseman. I mean, even this year, he didn't get 600 plate appearances. He was swapped out for righties a lot. Um, and his line against lefties was no better this year. So, you know, uh, he's got a pretty bad uh, baseline, too. But I'd just be way more comfortable buying a guy that's projected for a 23, 24% strikeout rate. I just, that's more balls in play, more chance for uh, for hits here and there. And, you know, Steamer puts him down for a 236 batting average. But I don't, I don't see why that would have to be. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, they'd steam a projection for 279 batting average on balls in play. And I don't, I don't really get that. He is lefty, but he doesn't, um, he doesn't, he's not a pull guy. He's like an up the middle guy. He's pretty, pretty much up the middle. So I don't think that he necessarily deserves that 279 BABIP. So I'd, uh, I'd pencil him in for a 250 batting average. Um, again next year, and uh, and I just regress the power a little bit just because his career power lines have gone up and down. And you know, this is a guy that like didn't hit any home runs the first year or two in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, so there's there have been times when people have said this guy has no power, and there have been times when people say, "Look at him, he's <laughs> monstrous." <laughs> you tell me he has no power. So um, I'll take Steamer's 24 homers from Duda. I'll take more runs in RBI because I think that team's going to spend a little bit or figure out a way to improve the offense. They have to. If they can improve the offense to, to mediocre, then that pitching staff will make that team work. So uh, I'll, get, I'll get, take an 80 runs and 85 RBI, 25 homers, and a 250 batting average um, out of, out of uh, Duda next year and, that's not, that's not uh, as good as this year. It's not, um, it's not immediately obviously like a top ten type first baseman, um, but uh, it's pretty useful. And if and if you think about the kind of projections that people might put on, um, you know, Prince Fielder or, or sort of the middle uh, of the line uh, first baseman like Adrian Gonzalez and Prince Fielder, maybe those guys are going to be projected for two eighty and twenty five homers. You know. Mm-hmm. So if you can get Duda for 250 and 25 homers, uh, you're probably going to get him a lot cheaper and a lot further down even after his breakout just because he's not named Prince Fielder or Adrian Gonzalez. That is true. I think, yeah, I mean, you automatically, I guess it just, it, it's going to depend on, it's going to depend for me entirely on what is kind of, how much are people buying into what Duda did this past season because he turned out to be an you know, incredibly useful commodity, basically uh, losing Ike Davis out, uh, Ike Davis leaving the picture. I mean, he's, Duda is clearly a platoon bat, uh, the the strikeout rate versus left-handers. It's kind of incrementally gotten better, but it's never, I mean, he's, every everything screams uh, he's a platoon hitter, including, you know, uh, Terry Collins is probably going to eventually kind of, uh, he'll, he'll view him as a guy that he has to platoon if he has the bat available. Uh, to play at first base uh, on a regular basis because he'll even if he didn't look at numbers uh, that he would be kind of betrothed to um, the old school 
thought of, well, lefty on lefty versus righty on righty is always bad kind of thing. And, but at the same time, he is, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I, I would want to know why he's given, why he's projected automatically for this lower BABIP. I mean, there's nothing that I see easily in those in the same in the batter ball stuff or in the peripherals or anything like that that says to me that he deserves such a, such a low BABIP on a consistent basis other than the fact that that's uh, perennially kind of what he's done. Um, maybe he's just that god awful slow. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he it could be that. Yeah. But you know, his pop up, his pop up skill, he's actually better and better than average at that. Okay. So he hits, he hits line drives at an average or better than average rate. Um, he, I guess uh, that's it. He hits uh, 0.6 uh, ground balls for every, uh, for every fly ball. Yeah. So they're just, uh, I guess they're just factoring in the fact that he hits more uh, a lot of fly balls, yeah. more fly balls than ground balls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's true. But with the line drive stroke and the lack of pop ups um, and the strikeout rate where it is, you know, one thing I really liked about Duda this year is that he got, you know, the the, the book get got out on him that he that he couldn't that, that he was better at fastballs, just like most sluggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they started throwing him fastballs less and less. And this year was the, the, he saw the least fastballs he's ever seen, forty eight percent, first time under fifty percent. And yet his swinging strike rate improved off of last year and his strikeout rate improved off of last year. So, you know, they're trying to throw him breakers and off-speed stuff and get in his head, and he's doing a good job staying up the middle. Uh, if you look at his spray chart uh, on, on uh, outfield balls, it's up the middle. And, um, you know, he's showing power to all fields. He hit it out opposite and uh, pull. And, um, you know, Steve Pierce's chart, you should see that all his homers are like within five feet of each other on a left field wall. <laughs> um, so he, he gets a hold of something and pulls it, yanks it out. Uh, Duda's got homers that range the whole ballpark. So I just, uh, I, you know, I hope not to be biased. I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've interviewed this guy. Uh, he was the first person I ever interviewed in a, in a, a ballpark. Um, and he was super nice. He's, not at all uh, like a lot of all other ball players. He's quiet. Um, he's not uh, very brash. Um, and uh, I've always rooted for him to do something like this because I thought he had it in him. So, but you know, so now I think I believe. I thought he had this in him from the day one. Yeah, yeah. I, I see this as a guy. I'd be overall. I think this is a guy I'd be willing to invest in as you know, as long as there's not like a a, two, a huge 2014 cost. You know evaluated or kind of part of his premium yeah. i mean he's he's overall i mean you know, you look at the overall plate discipline you say it's an undisciplined hitter but the reach rate is just not bad at all uh even though i mean it doesn't result in a great contact rate but again uh, there's a lot of things that add up to like you said I, I i want a guy who can go the other way can go the other way with power especially and he can do that like it's not a guy we willing to pay uh, to kind of have be a part of my team, especially if, if I get him a significant discount compared to the, the name guys, like you said, that's a guy that overall I'd be willing to have. And I think, what what if you you know what if you compare a Chris Davis with a Lucas Duda? That'd be like a nice little combo, I think. <laughs> yeah. A couple of you know, say you spend thirty five bucks on a combination like that, as opposed to uh, whatever it takes to land one guy. At that. I you mean, have that, to make sure that the rest of your guys, you know, maybe I guess you know, would be nice about that is that you might be able to buy your speed um, 
with a little bit of power and and buy guys that uh, traditionally have good batting averages. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it would make a lot of sense to pair those two guys with like an Andrew McCutcheon. Yes, yeah, that's a good. That's a very good one. You would get a little bit of power, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't matter if Andrew McCutcheon only hit 17 homers next year because you would have bought a lot of power with these other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then you, what you're buying with McCutcheon is the batting average and the hope that um, he floats down a little bit, and um, you get a little bit lucky with Davis's batting average. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I think uh, I think I might own people like that. I I always have a hard time buying. Um, you know, these first base power types uh, in the first and second rounds. Yes, I can um, I understand that. I feel like there's a ton of them. And um, look at Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana was like the 15th best first baseman this year. Was catcher eligible, though. That makes a huge difference. Right, right. But that means, <laughs> that means that going next year, I would, I would say that Carlos Santana will be better next year. Um, and uh, – he already this year earned eleven dollars at first base and mm-hmm. was a top fifteen guy. So it's like, uh, okay, so Carlos Santana is going to be available for for nothing next year. Um, I think could could be. I mean, I, I think As I want to say after that season. Did he play enough? Did he play enough to to play uh, at or I'm sorry to be eligible at either catcher or third base again? I think that's. I um, I think yeah. I mean okay. So yeah, if he's a third baseman, I think he will be a third baseman. Um, yeah, I'm checking that now, and I think uh, let's see, third base he played 26 games, so you'd be eligible there. Catcher, yeah, yeah catcher unless he unless 10 games. Yeah, uh, is your is your uh, floor? Then no, he's not eligible catcher anymore. But that I mean that makes him actually makes him kind of an interesting third base commodity to talk about. But I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is. Imagine him as a first baseman. I don't think he'd be a hot commodity. Right. Uh, he wouldn't like... cost a lot. And yet, <laughs> you could get 250 and 25 from him. You know? Yeah. If my, my whole joke about catchers is there's a million catchers that can hit 260 with uh, 17 homers. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to spend on, unless I get something that's distinctively, demonstratively better than that. And I'm not even sure that Buster Posey counts because he's going to hit you the same 17 homers. It's just all about batting average in his case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he maybe Buster Posey does count because he gets the extra at-bats at first. We're getting off target here. But my point is... No, no, uh, I understand. The, my baseline for first base is probably something like 250 and 25 homers. And a guy like Gonzo is just not going to do it for me. You know, he might hit 270 with 20 homers. That sounds to me like 250 with 25 homers. You know what I mean? Kind and, of, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that... I, I like I I, put, I like Gonzo. I mean, I think it, it all depends. I think that there are a lot of people who conti- who will continue to remain unenamored with Gonzo. Like I view him as that type of player, and I, I mean that's what I wrote. Is I mean to sum up basically is that I think he's just kind of a player that does that. But he continually. I mean, I don't know what that skill is, but he does repeatedly kind of hit uh, with a high average on, uh, with runners in scoring position. He's just kind of one of those types. Um, for for whatever reason that is, I think that is. Just, I mean, he's and part of it is just opportunity. He's, he's always in the middle of the lineup. He he plays every day. He's been reliable for in in terms of health. Um, uh, is a much better version of kind of a Ryan Howard, perhaps. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think that. I mean, there's there's certainly value in that. I think it's I, the cost. I mean, I would I would I wouldn't say I would top one uh, Gonzalez per se. 
there's just a, I mean, there's just, to me, that's part of, like, I think that there's an art of drafting. There's a science, there's a science to evaluating your numbers pre-draft and there's an art to, to auctioning especially, uh, or participating in the auction, especially because you're constantly adjusting in, in, in those kind of real world scenarios. And even, even if you use like a, um, a draft software, like a, now I'm suddenly forgetting the name of the, the real popular one, but uh, I mean, I know that there are several out there. If you're using a draft software that constantly um, updates you as far as what inflation is, um, what the co- what the new cost of uh, players' remaining stats are, and things like that, there's still a certain degree of a range of outcomes in all those things. And some of it is just it's it's kind of the art of adjusting and and knowing or, or having a feeling of which way your opponents are going to go and things like that. Uh, when is the right time to top or to you know jump bids and things like that? There's there's no right formula, and that only comes with experience. And maybe there is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and no, what's funny is that if you're listening to this podcast, um, you're, you're probably in, tired of hearing me talk about that. No, you're, <laughs> you're in, you're in um, drafts with a lot of sharps. You're in, in drafts with a lot of people who are um, spending a lot of time, you know, trying to nail their projections and 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 have ideas about. Uh, draft philosophy and and so you're 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 going to be up against a lot of sharps there are times when it pays to draft dumb um just because it's cheap i mean i thought about that when i was in al labor and and bud norris came up and i was like you know every part of me is like don't get bud norris he's the fastball slider guy the fastball's declining all this stuff sucks you know it's there's a bad park for him he's in the american league why would you get bud norris he's no good you know mm-hmm and then it, I was like, and that worked out. He's six bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's at some. Like, sure, I'll take Bud Norris for six bucks. Yeah, there's at some point everybody is worth it, kind yeah. of thing. Almost, yeah, almost think, everybody. <laughs> that's one of the best things to remember is that there's, I, you know, there's this like function in Yahoo where it's like exclude from draft list, and the only people I do that for are people who are hurt for the year. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, as much as I've said today, even that Chris Carter and, and Chris Davis are not my types. I own Chris Carter and tout and I blame uh, my second to last place, second to last place uh, finish <laughs> on him entirely. I don't, uh, I'm just saying uh, there's nobody on my don't draft list. So yeah. I'm just, but you know, Chris Davis was, was expensive last year and, you know, showed signs of regression. I think a similar guy for me this year is Victor Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, I just oh, yeah. don't believe that he's going to keep the 32 homer type, you know, stats. And I think he'll drop off to, you know, good batting average, but, you know, 16, 17 homers at tops. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so I just don't see myself paying the prices that others will pay. Others will pay. Um, that, that seems like a lot of whatever you want to call luck mixed in with uh, a swing plane thing. I mean, a lot of things that just gone, went a little bit too right for him over the course of one season, like you said, I mean, I, yeah, I would project him for at least roughly half of what he, uh, the number of the homers that he hit this past season. How could you, Yeah, I mean, he never, he never hit 30 homers before. Yeah. <laughs> and he's 35 years old and he mostly plays DH. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, DH is at that, that 10% penalty that, that, um, should make them worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you look at it, you know, and he had that year off in 2012. So 12 homers, 14 homers, 32 homers. <laughs> uh, 
yeah. Which one of these is not like the other even, kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. And even Steamer's projection for 22 homers makes me a little nervous. Yeah, I mean, no, I would, not, I would not be comfortable with that projection. Right? The 36-year-old? It's, 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 not like, it's not like Detroit is uh, the hit, hitter-friendliest yeah. park. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's... It, I, uh, I'm not sure the exact part fa- factor offhand, but it plays better for right-handed hitters. I mean, it's almost it's it maybe a slight positive I think for right-handed hitters, but or at least right-handed pull hitters. But it's not. I mean, that's that's the wrong side of the platoon. He's not going to hit that way very often. You're talking anyway. So yeah, it's just it. A lot of it just doesn't add up. A lot of things went right this year. Um, he's. I, it's like I loved him coming into the season. I think I ended up owning him or drafting him, I should say, in, in a few leagues uh, because of the price tag. And it's like it's going to be the opposite, I think, coming into next season. A lot of people are probably going to pay too much for that. Who do you see uh, Who do you see yourself paying for uh, maybe more? Who do you see spending more than they, on them next year than they, uh, than they produced last year? Who do I who which players do I see having in the top fifteen? So looking at these rankings, you've got Victor Martinez earning about thirty bucks, Jose Abreu thirty bucks, Miguel Cabrera thirty bucks, Albert Pujols twenty four. Who which of those guys would you would you pay more for than they than they gave you last year? Uh, well, I mean, and I'm just springing this on you, so I'm going to talk no, no. a little bit right now about my choice, just so that you have a chance to look at them and, and decide yourself. I think um, I would spend more on Anthony Rizzo, um, who earned 22 bucks but only drove in 78 runners. I think um, you know all that that takes is you know more Javi Baez, more um, Arizmendi Alcantara, uh, more of that Ray sort of Zoli. thing um, to 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 even out his uh, RBI total and, and put him back into the sort of 25 to 28 dollar uh, territory. Yeah, that's fair enough because that seems strictly to be about an opportunity thing. Um, that's basically the only reason they didn't finish in that. I, offhand, I would guess that the batting average, there's probably a little bit of give back in that. But, um, I mean, I guess, like, if you're saying which of these guys would I spend more than they earned, uh, typically these first-round types, I mean, it, I would spend at least 30 bucks on a Jose Abreu because I'm pretty confident that this I, – I don't, I don't see much in the way of holes in his – like I would spend it on him because I think that I still view him as an, an easy uh, 100 RBI commodity, a guy who's easily a 30 home run guy uh, and the batting average, while it's not going to be 300 perhaps. Uh, is pretty well, the only much- thing that makes me nervous about him is that almost 30% homers per fly ball. I mean kind of weird uh, – Batted ball mix. I, yeah, I guess so. If anybody could pull it off, it's probably a guy like him. I mean, he, he's got some. There's a lot of opposite field power. I think. I mean, he just strikes me as that type of. Again, and this is kind of a uh, a surface evaluation, but I think the combination of all those things. I mean, there are a lot of people who kind of buy into him. I guess it's going to be a question of. I mean, is he going to is he going to go? F- How much more than thirty dollars is he going to go for? Because, I mean, a lot of people already probably seem to consider him kind of a first-round mixed-league value easily. It seems like he's probably going to go in the first round. Uh, you know, those players go for $30 and up. Obviously, the first few of them go for 35 to $40, maybe more. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I'm not sure at what point I get uncomfortable, but I, I, I think I would feel pretty confident in paying for a Jose Abreu. The question is, is I mean, if I don't get it on the low end, like near $30, I, I don't pay that much for players just in general because I want – I like to spread it out. I don't like to do yeah. – I mean, it, I have no problem getting a first-round tight player, um, but I only get them at discounts, uh, relative discounts. Like I, I would get them – Yeah, I'm always question. trying to get – I'm always trying to get the $32 first rounder, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Get, That's a good, yeah. Try to get a guy, try to buy into the first round, but not at like the $45, $50 price range. Yeah, because there's just those dollars allocating them elsewhere into, I mean, it's not like you're, you're, you're not necessarily hedging your bets. I mean, you're, you're just giving yourself a greater. It certainly depends. I, I'd be much more, uh, that, that, and that's totally a, a depth of league thing. Uh, that's, way the way I play in AL or NL only, I, mm. I spread it out. Yeah. Mixed league as it depends as you get, especially in, as you get in, I mean, if you get into a shallow mixed league, a 10 team mixed league, um, especially without like a corner or middle, then go all in buy stars because they're all the $1 players are going to be good. So it doesn't really matter, but yeah, I mean, that, and that kind of goes, without See, saying, I, that's been a tentative. I, I almost always do that. I almost always do that in all my leagues. Yeah. Uh, but this last year, um, I was in a 12-team uh, Roto Baseball League, um, and it was an auction. And I'm, I'm trying to call the, the uh, draft results here. I won the league by 10 points. Uh, I have to tell this one <laughs> because I, I won the league by 10 points uh, in the in the end. But um, as late as let's see here, this is April May. As late as uh, June twenty, June twentieth, I was in eleventh in the league, and I just took off. Um, but um, and mostly, and this is one reason it's it's kind of interesting. Mostly, I took off in saves. Um, I, I was I was bottom of the league in saves, and I just I just cobbled together a closing staff off the wire. Spent all of my free agency budget almost on saves, and uh, and finished eleventh in saves. So um, that's that's one that's a side thing. But I do want to get my draft uh, results because this was the one time that I decided to go all in on Mike Trout, um, and we had a two hundred dollar budget, and I paid sixty six dollars for Mike Trout. Two hundred dollar budget and sixty six bucks alone. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and. Um, uh, Miguel Herrera went for 66. Goldschmidt went for 49. Uh, Kershaw went for 46. And I spent 38 on Edwin Encarnacion. So uh, I spent $100 on two players um, and, uh, and won the league. Um, I paid $28 for Strasburg as my number one pitcher. And uh, ended up filling up uh, my lineup with uh, Anthony Rendon for super cheap. Uh, Mookie Betts did me a lot of good at the end of the season. Cole Calhoun cost me a couple bucks. Corey Dickerson cost me a buck. Um, never had a good shortstop all season. With Peralta, Betts, Alcides Escobar, uh, just sort of punted shortstop. Well, Escobar and I don't know about Peralta. I mean, he did have what? It was around 20. It was 20 some. I mean, between the two, they actually had pretty good seasons at shortstop, especially uh, Escobar, 30-plus steals. 
Those, yeah, I mean, those guys I, were significant money earners, I think. It was an LPS league, so that's uh, a little bit worse. But okay. I mean, listen to the staff. The staff cost me. Uh, actually, I want to. I want to know the number. Uh, the, the staff cost me. Let me do my team name here. Uh, my staff cost me eleven, twenty-four, thirty-five, fifty, sixty. My staff cost me like seventy bucks uh, out of uh, out about, of two hundred. Yeah, about about one third. Yeah, about about the normal uh, setup. Uh, this is the staff I ended the season with: uh, Jordan Zimmerman, Sonny Gray, Steven Strasburg, Corey Kluber, um, Dallas Keuchel, and uh, Cody Allen, David Robertson, Jake McGee, Hector Rondon, and I dropped somebody at the end of the season for Aaron Sanchez to maybe try and get. Um, maybe try to get more get more steals, uh, saves. Yeah, it, was, it ended up. I mean, that's 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 my kind of team. I mean, I I kind of have those teams all the time. So uh, Jake Degrom, uh, I, right. I at the end of the season to get Aaron Sanchez. So you know, whooped everybody in in pitching uh, and found just enough hitting um, and spent all my. Spent all my free agency dollars on Cody Allen and Hector Rondon and Jake McGee and yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I was. I started with that story. <laughs> I, I spent sixty-six dollars on Trout. It was just it was yeah spending on stars and you know what can that can get you. I mean, I guess the the kind of the the moral of the story is you can. I mean, in a shallower league, yeah. you're saying that allowed you to get away with that. It's a twelve-team league, so I I bought for dollar. My dollar guys were Matt Adams. Cole Calhoun, uh, uh, Brian McCann was even like a $2 guy or something. Anthony Rendon was a dollar guy for me. So it's like, you know, if those guys are dollar guys and you can get, and you can inch into the top 10 with those guys, and then you have, you know, top 10 overall guys that you've just paid a lot of money on, that's how you win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. It's, certainly it's very doable. And so, <clears throat> which, uh, which of those guys, like, uh, which of these, I mean, some of the other players we could have talked about. Obviously, I mean, you could talk about a Justin Morneau. Um, he was a double-digit, you, you know, in the teens as far as money earners this season. With uh, three, it was you know largely, I would say, batting average driven, uh, seventeen homers. You could point to Colorado, hoping you know, kind of a revival there. Same, but the same risks and all that are going to apply. I guess the question is, but you know, how, how much have people warm to? I mean, there's a. I think there's going to be. There's just a lot of um, like first base is a it's a potentially top heavy position with except with the exception of those Lucas Duda types who can hit you and and where is Chris Davis going to fall in terms of dollar value or uh, in terms of what he's going to fetch in a draft? You have the Matt Adams, Eric Hosmer, Billy Butler's. These are all kind of guys we might talk about. Brandon Belt we talked about uh, in a previous podcast. I mean it, it's a potential breakout player. Even Adam LaRoche was a great consolation prize for folks. I mean, he was a, basically a dollar type player in a lot of, in most mixed leagues or all mixed leagues. Um, and that yeah, also yeah. lends itself. But like, I, I still view like a Hosmer, despite what he's doing in the playoffs and all that stuff. I mean, he's still a low end first baseman to me. Is there, are there people that are going to kind of view? I don't think, I don't, I think most fantasy owners don't put a great deal of stock in what players do in the playoffs and suddenly think, Oh, this guy's going to be awesome next year. 
we have too many cases and uh, yeah but you know what the one one name that I agree on on Hosmer in particular because his batting average on balls of play in the postseason is like 570 <laughs> ridiculous uh, but there's something about Matt Adams that intrigues me I like uh, Adams he hit 370 into the shift this year and he talked about beating the shift by going the other way that sounds to me like a very um, savvy guy, you know, a guy who adjusts. And, and I like to hear that. I like to hear about adjustments. Um, I know he didn't hit for the type of power we wanted out of him for a full season, but I... But he didn't seem I to focus to be, on that. There were some... Well, I also... Yeah, I think people will focus on that. But I also... I hate... And I hate to read too much into his body type, but, I mean, it is part of why I like Lucas Duda is that I said, this guy's big. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he, you know, figures out his plate approach, he can hit it far. Um, and uh, I, what I see with Matt Adams is a guy who has the plate approach in terms of batting average. I like that, um, and I like, you know, how he how he kind of is taking what people are giving him, and he he can go the other way. Um, but um, I think we'll see a little more power out of him next year. Yeah, certainly. And even if it comes with a sacrifice in batting. I mean, I think what I was saying is I think that he's, I mean, he's a conscious hitter. I mean, he talked about, obviously, you can take, I mean, to some degree, you have to buy that as noise. It's hard to evaluate it as such uh, as anything. But, I mean, but Adams came into last season. I mean, he 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 lost signif- uh, a decent amount of weight, um, and he worked extensively. I mean, I think he basically spent all winter facing left-handed pitching kind of in an effort to improve against that and make it to make himself not a platoon player uh and he he achieved significantly better results against left-handed pitchers um he, he he's conscious uh, basically you're saying he's making he continues to make adjustments i mean and I, I like to hear that same thing out of, uh, out of the players i mean basically he's not he's I'm gonna say he's just it's not as simple as he's not satisfied but he is constantly looking to make adjustments Right, and the results weren't great against left-handed pitchers. They were actually pretty bad, but I think that they opened the. I think they opened the door for a significant improvement, or at least palatable improvement. And, right, and maybe and maybe that sort of iconic uh, home run off a lefty in the playoffs uh, doesn't mean he's going to be great against lefties, but maybe it's good enough to to earn him some starts against lefties. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh... <clears throat> Over the course of a season, you might take the reduced batting average for the added runs in RBI in certain leagues. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you'd rather have the playing time. That's another thing that's sort of "quote unquote" artificially depressing. Um, Adams' value is the 55 runs. Um, you know that that should that should be a higher number. It's probably based on on you know being platooned and not and getting you know having some injury issues and stuff. Are there any guys you know? At the you know from like twenty on that aren't you know name guys or from twenty five on that you um, like in onlys, um, you know for me uh, a name that I keep coming back to is Yonder Alonso. Um, I, just I haven't given up hope yet. I have not given. Yeah, up. <laughs> the thing I like about Yonder Alonso is I think that you know a healthy season could. Could have a, a good batting average, and a should good batting I think he average. should have a good batting average in a healthy season? Right, and I mean he's he's a really good contact guy, which is you know you you guys have all heard me talk about contact. So 
you know, put a bunch of balls in play, hit 10 homers, you know, hit 280, 275, 280, and start most of the time, you know, mm-hmm. and steal a couple of bases. It's the kind of thing that um, if you could pay less than five bucks for in an only league, um, I think would be really attractive to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do like, I mean, I kind of like Logan Morrison. Um, that I mean, that's basically his issue is health. It seems to have been. Uh, he missed a significant amount of time. I think it was a hamstring strain that took a month and a half or so from him this past summer. Uh, but I got to I got to think that Seattle is slowly moving toward um, giving up on that Justin Smoke experiment somehow, one way or another. I got to think. Uh, I, yeah, they demoted him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to think. I got to think they're moving toward getting rid of all their first base DH types and realizing <laughs> that they need to put you know invest. I mean, Morrison seemed to. Um, he spent the last two months of the season basically kind of, I think, entrenching himself as a, as a potential option for them uh, future. I mean, he <laughs> brought his batting average up to from you know, below the Mendoza line to 262 in the final couple of months and provided some power, even including, I think, against the left-handed hitters a bit. A bit. So I think he's an intriguing guy. And uh, I think even uh, Mike Napoli is a guy that I mm. – I think even we'll have mixed league value next season uh, for an array of reasons. I mean, it's kind of a, a low end mixed league guy, but it, there's there are a lot of bodies that are. I mean, <laughs> Napoli's a good example for what we were talking about earlier. It's like there's a guy who could sneak into the top eighteen pretty easily. Yes, meaning uh, there's you know, a guy there's that guys util ready even in a twelve team mixed league, right? Which without without uh, corner infield slot. Am I going to pay in a mixed league? Uh, and especially like you know, in tout, perfect, probably perfect example is like I could see, like uh, next year, like if if it was a tout auction, uh, Chris Carter at ten dollars or Mike Napoli at a buck, I'm going Napoli all the way because a, the OBP is going to be sky high, well at least relative to the pool and rel- especially relative to Carter, but um, b he could hit al- he could hit almost as many homers as Carter and b I mean. There's just there's so much better plus the nine dollars. Yes, plus the nine dollars. <laughs> that's that's not bad. I mean, there's just so many guys. Like it's just, I, I like I'm kind of with you to some degree. I don't. I mean, I don't dismiss. I don't. Uh, I don't want to say I don't dismiss because you don't dismiss them. But like I, I'm not as down on the the high strikeout guys as you uh, you tend to be a little bit. But mm. um, when it comes to, I mean, I. Any of those guys who come off a good season, I don't want because they just they always seem to cost a little bit. Somebody's always willing to pay more for them than I am. But um, at the other end of it, I want to pay for those guys on the cheap side, basically, because those guys are probably likely, you know, a little likelier to have a better season than they did the year before, just because they kind of regress to the mean. And especially if I can find reasons for it, such so as I think we had a couple a couple of comments on the, the blog I wrote about Napoli, just saying about I mean he's having that sleep apnea procedure and, you know, assuming that, I mean, that can have an adverse effect on your health. Um, those kinds of things. I mean, that's, that's a reason to believe it's not necessarily. Oh, it's, it's really bad. Sleep apnea is bad for your blood pressure. You don't, you don't get as much rest as other people because you, you wake yourself up with your snores. Yeah. So, um, it's a, it's a big deal. It's, I mean, I don't know that it'll make him a better baseball player, but, um, it's definitely a big deal. A guy that I like that I don't really like in some of these on-base percentage leagues that we're talking about is is CJ Crone. Mm-hmm. Um, he's I think he could be the kind of guy that could you could sneak away 
in a in a saber sharp league because you know in those leagues a lot of people also pay attention to real life stuff and mm-hmm. you know Crone's not a good defender he doesn't really have a natural position in the outfielder at first um, he's not going to walk uh, you know there's a lot of reasons not to like CJ Crone but you know given his swing strike rate given his strikeout rates in the past uh, given the way that team is constructed you know 260 with 20 homers next year uh, I think he could do that pretty easily so uh, you know, he could be a kind of guy you sneak away um, from uh, from a, a savvy crew. Yeah, I agree. And so, <laughs> uh, this is a player I could. I'm I'm a little curious, like what you think about. I mean, for the last few seasons, and even this past one, um, I mean, he was a kind of a top thirty player. Um, and certainly no one is going to value him this way, I would think, coming into this season. But Joey Votto, I mean, and it just strikes me as, you know, where do you, where does a player like this suddenly end up? Like, um, yeah, I think he's, I think he's going to be overvalued in that same league full of sharps. I mean, still overvalued. Uh, you probably think, uh, I think so because, I mean, if we're talking batting average league. He's projected for 280 and 18 homers next year, mm-hmm. and that's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty mediocre for fantasy baseball. Yeah. Um, on base percentage league changes things a little bit. He's gonna be. He's projected for a 411 on base percentage. You know, he's led the league pretty much in on base percentage. So, um, you know, then he becomes a standout on base percentage guy with some power. Um, you know. If he if his health improves and Jay Bruce's health improves, he should score more runs in RBI than he's currently projected for. Um, so then he becomes more valuable. But you know he's still got that name factor, a lot of name value um, that that doesn't necessarily uh, jive with his fantasy value. Yeah, that's what I guess that's what it strikes me as, and I that's my kind of fear. he's going to be another player that I feel like is going to be very interesting coming in because. My expectation is that the name value is going to drive up his price more so than I'm willing, much more so than I'm willing to pay for it in general. Because I, yeah, I don't see necessarily a lot of great fantasy. Product. I mean, it could be just simply it's it's a it, it could turn out to be a very healthy year for him, and that could make all the difference. But um, it's it's hard it's hard to imagine that that is extremely reliable or as reliable as folks are willing to pay for it. Um, and I guess just finally, uh, well, at least an observation, I guess, is Joe Maurer is basically, he's more useless than James Loney, <laughs> like even going into next season. I think that's kind of interesting. Like Joe Maurer went from, um, a guy with catcher eligibility and that seemed, and that mattered to suddenly he's like not even useful in mixed leagues. Jesus, 24th. And that's, but I mean, and that's not, and he still got 500 plate appearances. I mean, it's right. not like he was injured up here. Right, but I mean, yeah, I mean, but he's he's kind of. I mean, he's James Loney with even less power, or that's what he basically was this season. And certainly, you could, you know, maybe you pencil him in for nine or ten homers, but then he is James Loney, like that, which is a guy who frequently finds himself uh, just kind of occasionally and, owned for fill-in reasons in mixed leagues. In a weird way, even in on-base percentage leagues, he's kind of a, an anti-Votto argument. It's like, yeah, I mean, Votto will, 
Votto will hit more homers than Maurer, but you could pass on Votto and buy the on-base percentage of Joe Maurer for a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, I think that the name value thing doesn't work for Joe Maurer. Yeah, no, that's that's. <laughs> I guess that's kind of where I was getting to is like, now that the catcher eligibility thing is gone, there's no such thing as name value with Maurer. I mean, not my yeah. my impression would be that the, I can't imagine that there are too many people willing to buy Joe Maurer next season. But that again, that's just that's me. Oh, I mean, that might be a, a sneaky labor one because. Um, there, you know, the, the nice thing about someone like Joe Maurer is he's burned everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody has, at this point, everybody has taken a shot on Joe Maurer and been like, God. So maybe next year, if I can get Joe Maurer for a couple bucks for a corner infield slot or something, or five, like, I might even go to like 10 bucks, man. I mean, yeah. you're talking AL labor, you know, just the guy who's going to be in the lineup and, and that has a lot of value. Yeah. That yeah. A lot of and, you know, he's been healthier since he moved to first, so, you know, don't just too hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, I think I think that should pretty much do it for this edition of uh, Talking the First Baseman. We are going to get into second baseman in the not-too-distant future. I'm kind of eager to talk about what folks might think of Colton Wong uh, as a guy who could talk about it. I mean, obviously, he had a pretty fantastic postseason. Um you know, uh, early early feelings on Colton Wong. Is he a guy that you really like or not? Um, I know that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty un uh, academic question, but <laughs> or non academic question. But it just uh, I, I'm I'm pretty eager to talk about him. I'm not sure uh, how extensively well, we'll talk about him, but uh, yeah, we it's been a long uh, cast. We don't want to make too long, but uh, you know, one thing that um, I don't know that I'd never noticed before was that he has a swing that's suited for power. I mean, he has that big old uh, leg kick. Yeah. You know, and I don't know why I never noticed that before. Maybe I was too, like, thinking about his size. Um, He's got listed 5'9", 185, seems like a kind of small guy. Um, But um, he's got that big old kick, and that creates a lot of leverage. Yeah. So when you look at you know 163 ISO in AAA, you had a 175 ISO in A ball, you know you had a 139 ISO this year. I'm gonna bump up the upside projection, which is not necessarily the same thing as your actual projection, but I'm gonna bump up my upside projection way beyond what Steamer has him as. Steamer has him as the same amount of homers in in 150 more at bats. Um, my upside projection for him would be better than league average power. Um, so now we're talking about 17 homers, maybe. The, well, uh, the only thing that concerns me about that is the big ballpark. That's that always tends to scare yeah. me off that that type of upside. He's a big ballpark. But he managed an 11 percent home run for fly ball re- in his rookie year. Yeah. And uh, you know he's 24, so he's still pre-peak. No matter what you use your your peak for your power. True. Um, I mean, it's really impressive. He he didn't walk much. He's not an on-base percentage league guy. Um, but even there, he's got a little more upside. Uh, he stole 20 bases. Yeah. His first time at the league, which is just really, really great, actually. So, I mean, it's not, it's not at all impossible that Colton Wong hits 270 next year with 18 homers and 25 to 30 stolen bases. Yes. That's, he did something like that. He would be, he would be better than Brian Dozier. We were all talking about Brian Dozier this year. He would be, 
you know, uh, you'd be like a top two second baseman with no asterisk. I mean, Brian Dozier has asterisks. He has the the bad batting average, the strikeout rate, the the flat swing. You know, the, he has he has issues even now with this nice breakout year. So maybe Colton Wong will be in my uh, in my uh, predictions list. Very nice, very nice. I do. He's a uh, Wong is an intriguing player. It'll be interesting to see how the market reacts to him. I think uh, if if being the contrarian that I am, I tend to th- if if everybody thinks that way, I probably won't pay. I, you know, I won't be topping anybody. But uh, he overall is a very intriguing player with that combination of speed and power, uh, and more room to hit uh, in terms of uh, to hit with a, a better batting average too. I think so. Uh, very intriguing player. I think uh, for sure. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Sleeper and the Busts, episode number one seventy four. You know, thank you very much for joining us for shedding some some powerful insights with us uh especially on first baseman uh and thanks for having me uh we'll figure out what uh what happens next uh i think uh, i'll be happy to cover my first world series games this thursday friday and saturday i think so very cool it's very exciting very exciting predictions for the world series you might as well go ahead and throw it out there uh, well, I wrote today that the uh, Giants are uh, are decent fastball hitters, um, while the Royals have had issues on curves and um, and breakers in the past. The Giants throw more breaking balls than anybody in, in baseball. Um, not sure, uh, you know, how uh, robust that sort of a finding is, but um, if you think about the hitters in general, I think the Giants have a better lineup. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, the type of pitchers that the Royals will see aren't necessarily high fastball velocity guys, but they also are a little bit different than the type of pitchers they've been seeing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very, very sort of crafty veteran type um, crew other than Madison Bumgarner. So um, I have a feeling uh, it's going to be the Giants against even number year. I'm not yeah. going to do that. Sorry, I didn't do that. That's not a reason. That's not a real reason. I was just kidding. It's absolutely a reason. <laughs> um, but uh, I, yeah. I would tend I would tend to expect the Giants uh, for whatever magical scientific reason that they do this for. I think that they probably put together slightly better at bats than some of the other uh, other teams and and players have against uh, Casey's uh, bullpen threats. They tend to they tend to do that sort of thing. They have they have really good uh, really good at bats, um, just in general plate appearances against uh, sometimes some of the the bullpen's best. I would think that that an ever so slight potential advantage there as well. And if they can keep it close, there's more pressure on um, on Yost to go to his bullpen earlier. Yeah. And um, and so if they're if they can see some bullpen arms in the fifth and sixth. Um, they can get into the meaty part, you know. Jason Fraser is like necessarily, like, yeah, he's not yeah. that that type of guy. Like Jason Fraser is not necessarily. I mean, he's he's been a pretty good, reliable bullpen pitcher. He's not the same type of guy as a Wade Davis. For, for, and also, you know, they don't necessarily have the, uh, like a Yusmero Petit guy, right? Who so could, if it goes to long innings, well, maybe or, Danny Duffy. Although he's not quite in that class, I guess, because he's but he is in the bullpen. If he's healthy. He's, I mean, he's got more fastball velocity than Petit. Mm-hmm. He's got a nice curveball himself. Um, you know, if he's not counted as as one of their actual starting uh, rotation, then uh, yeah, I guess Duffy is a, is a good is a good uh, retort. Um, but um, 
I mean, Petit has been a lifesaver for them. I think if yeah. you if you sort of mash Petit into vocal songs, so that that you know, anytime you sort of appraise their different um, rotations, you you have to say that they're the the fourth starter for the Giants is Petit vocal song. Yeah. Um, so you know that changes things a little bit because whatever you think of vocal song, you have to sort of think even if he sucks for an inning or two, they can always go to Petit. So I got to think. Uh... I, I haven't seen any projections for what Giants lineups might, or what their Giants uh, lineup was going to look like on Tuesday, but I got to think that um, it's Giants are in a some, somewhat unique position that we typically thrust upon people typ- typically kind of thrust upon the NL teams uh, that you know they're not it's not a, a team that's constructed necessarily to play in an AL park, uh, but having Mike Morris on the bench maybe creates that DH opportunity. I mean. You certainly don't want him in the field if you can help that, uh, typically. But maybe he's not a bad, uh, you know, not a bad alternative. Although he's not perhaps ideal against a right-handed pitcher. I'm not sure who else they could go with. Uh, but it's an opportunity to kind of get his bat in the lineup on a regular basis if that turns out to be a direction they go. I mean, it's it's the I think the Giants. Yeah, they. I, I have to give them a slight edge in a number of ways, and I guess slight edges add up to. A pretty decent sized edge overall, and they have experience. <laughs> <laughs> Veteran presence for everyone. <laughs> Although the Royals have Raul Abanez, which cancels it completely on the other <laughs> side. Somehow, he's going to call a player's only meaning after the uh, first after the first game and totally turn things around for the Royals. So. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you all for joining us for episode number 174 of The Sleeper and the Bus. We look forward to talking second baseman uh, within the next few days. And, uh, again, uh, we we very much look forward to talking and third baseman and then shortstops, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you all for joining us. uh, And this has been The Sleeper and the Bust. (laughs) 